good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Good time, as we say in uh, Persian these days. Uh, it is my very distinct uh, privilege and pleasure to be talking with uh, Ms. Sashar of those 3,000 interviews that she referred to. I have had the good fortune of uh, being uh, interviewed by her a few times, and it is uh, my now pleasure to, for the first time, actually interview her. There is one aspect of her remarkable career that was not mentioned in the bio, and I want to mention that, and that is um, she and her husband's remarkable life as a philanthropist, as supporters of arts, and as supporters of Iranian studies. Uh, when we were trying to launch an Iranian program at Stanford, uh, we were trying to go around and uh, ask people to contribute to this program. And the first outside this area uh, invitation that we received was at her home. She and her husband invited us, Mike McFall and I went there. So we have benefited from her generosity uh, over the course of our program. And the last indication was that she kindly donated her remarkable archive of all of these interviews to Stanford, uh, as well as the Jewish oral, a copy of the Jewish oral history. So uh, it is with immense gratitude uh, and uh, humble appreciation of all she has done for Iranian arts, uh, for Iranian artists, uh, and for journalism, and for women's cause that we welcome her. Uh, welcome, Ms. Sasha. Uh, Thank you very much, Dr. Milani. You are very kind and humbled by your introduction. And uh, it is my honor to be uh, in conversation with you and invited by Stanford, very respectful university. Thank you. So uh, you have worked uh, in Iran as a journalist. Um, my first uh, two questions are, what were the biggest challenges as a a pioneering woman journalist in Iran, working as a woman journalist? And then what were the challenges of trying to uh, continue that career in diaspora? So challenges in Iran, challenges in diaspora. Uh, challenges in Iran were uh, different. We, uh, I have been between the first 10 Iranian women journalist and journalism and when I started. And uh, it was uh, challenging in, the, in that sense that uh, we were working hard. We were trying hard to uh, get our own position in, uh, in the uh, magazine or newspaper that we were working. But normally men would uh, have the better hand to have a better position with the same work and the same level of uh, our uh, uh, years of work and experience that they had. Uh, but uh, it was a very good time for us when I started because uh, women have been given uh, more opportunity to be in the political scenes, in, to be in the workforce. And uh, such, as such, I, um, I was uh, um, invited to be to work for Zanaruz, the magazine that at the time that it was I'm hired, it has not been started yet, has not been published. It published two, three months after I was hired. And uh, we knew that is, we are going to a new um, era and we knew that is very, we are very uh, uh, new to this uh, uh, arena, journalism. So uh, for example, I accepted to be a translator and also to reporter for Zanerus with uh, a very, uh, humble uh, salary, but I was very, very uh, adamant to uh, put my mark on the journalism and do whatever is uh, needed to do it. So me and a few of others, handful of others, women that started the journalism, we had a little bit rough uh, path to continue, but uh, uh, I think at the prior to the revolution, we were very confident, we, are, we were very uh, settled in, in uh, what we're doing. So that's why after the print journalism, I started also television. I got, was invited to produce a program without experience, but they, they, there was like, I, I, now that I'm in the United States, I know that it's called quota. But I think that at that, at that time, there was a quota to, to hire more women for different jobs and different uh, opportunity uh, careers. 
So I, I was fortunate to be also uh, hired at for NIR TV, uh, National Iranian Radio Television, and started my own program uh, called Chardivari, which was an educational uh, program for family, for women, for women rights. We uh, talked about uh, what right the woman has. I had done a lot of interviews and panel discussion about this. And uh, to be honest with you, Dr. Milani, I didn't, uh, I didn't face too much challenges, except that uh, our men colleagues were as, as maybe a little bit inferior to them. And that was not uh, that important for us that had something in mind that we needed to be there and we needed to uh, start uh, uh, having women in the workforce. And what about the challenges in diaspora? Well, the challenges in the diaspora is, is more important and more, uh, 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 it was a very challenging to start with as an immigrant, as a woman, as an Iranian. So it was three, uh, we had three uh, problems to solve because I, uh, when I came uh, to United States, I uh, exiled myself in United States. I left Iran two months prior to the revolution and came here and I was very, very optimistic that I will go back. So because I was in a, a journalist, I went to USC uh, to master's degree, master, uh, get a master's of uh, art at Annenberg School of Communication in, uh, with a hope to go back in Iran with better information, better knowledge uh, for uh, journalism. And uh, I was very optimistic at that time. As a student at USC, well, they, I was very welcomed and I learned a lot at uh, this um, Annenberg School of Communication. And uh, when I finished and I got my master's degree, um, I felt that there is no way back. And uh, we started uh, with a couple of our friends. Uh, we started a radio, a radio program called Radio Meet with Iraj um, Gorgin, you know him very well, and a few other colleagues in, uh, uh, from the NIR TV. And uh, we also started doing uh, my, my uh, personally, myself, I started to elaborate career outside the mining community. I worked for an NBC for a couple of months as an intern. I worked with Bank of America as a PR. Uh, all this was like an internship, but there was no chance for me at my age and at the language that I didn't know. I was a uh, uh, primary uh, Persian speaking, spe speaking and also French speaking because I was at school with your uh, sister, beloved sister Farzani, and we were at French school. So our second language was French. I learned English here. And uh, uh, there was no chance. I tried to, uh, for NBC, try to be behind the scene, do some research for them. They hesitated and I, uh, I know why, because so, so many demands are here for, especially in, uh, in journalism for younger generation, younger people with uh, um, a better accent, <laughs> knowledge of English. So uh, at, at one time, I stopped this challenge. And I said, I should do something for my, uh, uh, my community, Iranian community. That's why we started the radio program. I started a, a, a magazine, monthly magazine for the Iranian Jewish uh, Federation. And from then to today, I have been in uh, Persian community and working with Persian community, working for Persian community. And uh, the challenges uh, uh, is still in, in the Persian community is uh, having different ideas or different uh, ideal or different point of view politically or uh, socially with other Iranian community, which was okay until four years ago. Four years ago, uh, I, I have been uh, facing challenges that I never thought I would because the Persian community like, is divided in two very strongly and uh, there is a very big and uh, incredible tension uh, between the community here in Los Angeles and all over the United States. You know yourself, uh, Dr. Milani, about this. And uh, I may say for 55 years that I've worked, uh, 
I haven't faced such a challenge. This challenge is new. Uh, it made me angry. It made me anxious at the beginning. But now I said, well, this is what it is. We should face it. We should do whatever is needed. I should do whatever is needed. I cannot back up. So at this age, a new challenge. So uh, I add all these challenges. And I, I, I can say that for 55 years, as a journalist, as a writer, as a human rights activist, as a women rights activist and minority rights uh, activist, challenges uh, were different, but not as uh, <clears throat> In your uh, appraisal of the Iranian women's movement, uh, you have been following it, you have been part of it, you have been a pioneer in it. Uh, what is your assessment if you were to now look back and look at this, not just look back, look at this current movement, both in journalism, in literature, in arts, uh, in minority rights, in approaches to gays and lesbians, in approaches to equality. And how do you see, has there been a progress? Has there been a gradual progress? Has there been a paradigm shift? What is your assessment of the women's movement? I remember the uh, first time that I uh, started uh, to uh, collaborate with uh, women activists, it was back in Iran. At the time of the, when we were, um, time that the, the um, delegate of Iranian uh, women in the Majlis, uh, the representative at the Majlis or uh, House of Representatives started the law or the uh, act of uh, uh, family protection. At that time, as a journalist, I was going to, uh, all over and uh, interviewing uh, other women to uh, reflect what they're doing and to uh, actually to be, pro uh, to be uh, at their side and uh, to be uh, supportive of this movement. And this was my first uh, active uh, uh, women uh, movement. And that was, that was uh, a very successful movement. Uh, the uh, act of uh, family protection passed and become a, became a law. And uh, at that time, we were very happy. And we continue uh, for other demands that women had. And uh, I believe that gradually, Iranian women before the revolution, although most of the rights they were given to them, but they were appreciative of that and they were also uh, participating in it. And uh, uh, the future at that time, looking at the horizon, it was very bright for Iranian women at that time. I myself is, I am one of the representative of women who went to the university and uh, uh, this maybe was not uh, possible for my grandmother or my mother uh, generation. And uh, we appreciate it all, but I think, I think that the only reason that I think that uh, women, also some of the women uh, during the revolution uh, supported the revolution was that they didn't uh, really appreciate it wholeheartedly. Uh, what they have between us in the, in the newsroom and or in the Kehan, um, uh, uh, hall where all the writers were sitting and we were talking and with other they were said they they were given these rights are given to us we need to 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 work ourselves we need to grab it we need to 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 work for it so to be uh, appreciated that this happened after the revolution as soon as the revolution happened and the women fought, the first uh, movement of Iranian women is, was against the uh, mandatory uh, whale, this showed to me and for the past 41 year that the revolution has uh, started, this has not stopped by Iranian women because they thought this time they need to do something themselves. And the perseverance of Iranian women. Presence in the scene, political scene, and also human rights scene, women's rights scene, and all this, and showing what they want and being courageous to show, and fighting with the uh, Republic, uh, Islamic Republic of Iran all the time with no stop. 
with no break. For me, this shows that when women want to do something, they do it. And I always, uh, the title of our conversation today is the Achilles heel of the Islamic Republic of Iran. These are women. The, I use that uh, uh, idiom uh, maybe 36, 37 years ago in one of my uh, articles that I wrote. And I still believe to this day that if something happens, if this uh, regime is overturned, is if another revolution happened in Iran, is any one, the Iranian women are the one that is in, that are in the front. And they have been doing this for years, for decades, and with no, with tirelessly, with uh, they have done this. And I always uh, uh, bring their name with proud, with pride. And um, I think that uh, the only thing that I, as a uh, activist, do outside Iran for them in diaspora is to just uh, bring their voice, give them a voice, because at the at the beginning they even didn't have any. Uh, communication with outside world, but we give them with the um, different network that we uh, bring with the NGOs and different uh, uh, organization, you know, a women organization, we just connected to them and we gave them voice to for the uh, the whole world to know what's going on with the Iranian women. And they haven't stopped. And they get the right that it's, it's the God-given right, the, the equality, uh, in the in in, uh, in every aspect aspect of life, especially uh, equality in uh, law in uh, rights that they they should have, and uh, I'm very optimistic that uh, it will happen one day. Maybe me and you will maybe we'll we won't see it, but 40 years for a for a nation and for a country is not long. Is for a person is long. Maybe I would be sad if I don't see that day, but I know that. One day this is going to happen. I, I'm convinced that uh, you're right. We will see it. Uh, you, you will see it. Hopefully, I, I will see it because uh, I think you're right. The women's movement has been at the forefront for not just the women's movement, but for the democratic struggle. Exactly. Uh, and uh, would you agree that because women have been in the forefront of this democratic movement, they have changed the structure of this democratic movement in very uh, important ways. Uh, I believe that. I believe that, and I think that these days we are seeing a lot of Iranian men supporting these movements, which was not the case uh, maybe half a century ago, and they are fighting uh, to uh, for the separation of uh, uh, religion and government. Women are doing this, and uh, men are supporting it. So this is what, and also they are just bringing about the knowledge and information that all the religion, Abrahamic religion, in uh, if they are uh, working with the government together, the first victim of this uh, coalition would be women. So I think. Iran, after the Islamic Republic of uh, today's Islamic Republic government, after that, Iran will never, never see a coalition between the government and the religion because women have been the, uh, the biggest victim of this coalition and uh, they, they have changed the, um, the view of uh, other people, other uh, citizens of Iran to this point. Um, would you also agree that uh, the kind of movement that has uh, come about, this kind of civil disobedience that has been really remarkable by women, has changed the structure of the political movement for democracy in Iran in a much more fundamental way. Would you agree with that? Great, great point, Dr. Milan. I agree with you 100%. Just starting with uh, White Wednesdays, starting with the uh, movement, Green Movement, and in forefront of all this, you see a younger generation of Iranian women in front and doing this. And the civil disobedience is something that uh, I should have pointed. And I thank you for bringing this up because it's a very important point. 
100% I agree with you. And, and it, as you indicated yourself, it almost began immediately after they tried to force the hijab, women began to resist from yes. coming out in the streets in thousands to sometimes individually resisting as in some of the cases you know better than I do. Uh, maybe yourself who said, no, I'm not going to do this. And you paid the price. You got thrown out of your job. There are thousands of women who did this. And I think they have reshaped the political uh, landscape in Iran. Yeah, and they have a saying. They haven't, they are very, uh, very, uh, you can see them all over. When something happens in Iran, you see them in the photographs and all this uh, on the social media, you see always women in front and, and giving, for, by, in my opinion, women are giving courage to men to bring out, to come out and to, uh, to do all the demonstration, to, to continue the demonstration. And you, right now you see uh, the number of Iranian women activists and uh, there are or political activists or rights, uh, human rights activists in jail. Why? Because they are in forefront and they are, they're really, really doing a great job, unbelievable job. And uh, that makes Iranian women in the whole world, in the view of the whole world, a group of, Iran, a, a group of citizens that are very respectful, very uh, active, and they are demanding for their own right. They are not, and and also, don't we don't we should I should not forget to tell that all this uh, opposition Iranian women shows and it's peaceful. It's peaceful. They never have been aggressive. They never have done something that's uh, illegal or uh, uh, violent. Always their demand and their demonstration is peaceful. And this is something that they show to the world, how they, how they face the Islamic Republic of Iran. You use the word, I keep wanting to go back to it. You said during the Shah's period, there was a quota to include women in many, many places. I think that is a very progressive quota. Today, we know there are quotas against women, against women entering universities, in jobs, travel on almost every domain where the regime can. They are imposing quotas to limit women, and they can't do it. They, they try to put quotas on women in university. 60% of university students are uh, women. So exactly as you say, the movement from below has continued to grow. Yeah, and uh, besides the quota, there's also some uh, careers or some uh, uh, department that the women are not even allowed to go, and they they are not they don't let them do uh, go to university and study those uh, uh, those careers. So this is a double uh, uh, violation of the right. They have coda, and also they are they have uh, um, they are not allowed to go and continue what or reach the um, the goal that they have in their life because on some area in some area area they cannot do it they cannot study they cannot work and this is this is very unfortunate but uh, for example singers vocalists Iranian vocalists they do their women uh, uh, women's voice is is forbidden in the Republic but how many of Iranian women singers have you seen that they have concerts and they do the concerts in the house, uh, on the basement for others, and they didn't stop. They didn't accept what is, was imposed to them. You have given to few of them uh, uh, prizes at the Stanford. Yes. These are the these are its symbols and also the uh, the uh, heroes of Iranian women that did what they were asked not to do, and they did it and they did it perfectly. Parisa, I think you're referring to yes. Parisa, yes. was the, truly the grand dame of uh, classical Persian music, and she could. And Simine Behbahani and other women yeah. in different in different uh, uh, areas, yeah, mm. literature and art and stuff like this. There was an image. I'm sure you saw a few, uh, a couple of three weeks ago, maybe uh, a woman who went to a mosque. Uh, I think it was an Esfahan, took off her veil and. Uh, sang a little song. It was just stunning, both the defiance, the place she had, mm -hmm. she had chosen, and exactly what you're saying. And uh, Shajarian uh, 
told, uh, told us when he was visiting Stanford that there's never been as many women training in classical Persian vocal uh, as there is now, and they can't yeah. perform. Here you are. Uh, so let me ask uh, a personal question. When was it that you first thought of yourself as a feminist? Uh, you remember? I, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I have been brought up in a family, in a Jewish family, and uh, with uh, matriarch. My grandmother and my mother always had the saying in the family. But in most other family at that time, women had the same, but it wouldn't, they wouldn't show me, they would show. And the expectation was for me as such to be. And uh, I uh, have done few, I have took, taken few steps in different uh, areas of my life. For example, when I was, uh, uh, I was uh, uh, being, uh, how do you call it? When I uh, had my husband, my uh, future husband, came for my hands at this hostegari, which was a very uh, a traditional way of seeing or meeting your next, your uh, future husband. And there was uh, a tradition in Muslim and Jewish both that they would, the father of the bride, that the bride-to-be would ask for money. Uh, that we call, we call it mehriye. I don't know how to call it in English. Uh, yeah, this is like a uh, something the right money for the, for the wife. Yeah. Yes, and uh, when I was sitting there at the, uh, the with the family, and they asked me to go out, I was I was at the first uh, uh, year of the uh, university, and I said, "Why should I go out?" And they said, "There is some discussion that uh, you are not supposed to be here." So I went there, and then my uh, uh, my aunt came to my room and I said, oh, congratulations, it's passed. And I said, what passed? And I said, your husband accepted to pay 400,000 toman for your mehriye, which was a big amount for that. And I said, why? And he said, this is the tradition. I said, you sold me? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, nobody, get, nobody get, gets this money. This is just tradition. So I was very, very uh, upset of this. And I said, not in my family, they shouldn't do it. But my mom also accepted because uh, it was tradition. And the day that I married my husband, a week after, I just told him, you are free. You don't have to pay me <laughs> my uh, bride money. And said, how you do this? I said, I don't want it because I feel bad. And I wrote, a, uh, I wrote a letter to him, a legal letter, a letter that I, I, my uh, bride money has been taken. And it's okay. I don't want it anymore. And I think at that time, when I think at that time that I was 19 years old, uh, that uh, the respect for women, the honoring of a woman is not to exchange it with money. Maybe that was the first step that I thought I should do something about this. And then came... Uh, the uh, family um, uh, protection family when and then after that came the, the abortion uh, laws in Iran and all these were just giving the woman the liberty and freedom to live their life and to do whatever they want with their body and to prevent themselves to be sold. So uh, always uh, when I discuss this, people say, this is just a tradition, but they say, this is a very nasty tradition. I don't like it. And it should be, it should be uh, waived. It should be, uh, be unlawful to do this. But I think still they are doing it in uh, Islamic Republic of Iran. And in villages, maybe in villages and stuff. But so uh, until the day that a woman is not sold, a bride is not sold. I think I should continue my uh, activism for the Iranian women's rights. Absolutely. And it's a brilliant anecdote because uh, uh, it shows how instinctive initially your feminism was, because I think that is a very profoundly uh, feminist gesture. Said, I want a bond of uh, marriage, but I don't want it to be held together with the threat of money, which is essentially, <clears throat> of course, we have to understand that tradition has come about 
because women don't have rights of inheritance, women don't yeah. get anything. And this was a protection for women. Protection for women. Yeah. But you didn't ever want that protection. You want to stand on your own. That's a remarkable feminist uh, gesture. Yeah. And, uh, but of course, I have to also say, because I have a great deal of eradity, your husband, uh, they chose well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's good. He's, he's a very supportive uh, man and he's a very supportive husband. And he accepted when I was getting married to him, I was at first uh, uh, year of the school at uh, the university. And I said, he, he asked me, what do you want to do? I said, I want to continue my education. I want to get my, my bachelor's degree, at least my bachelor's degree. I said, whatever you want to do. Until what time, any time that you want to educate, you want to get educated, you want to go to the school, you want to go to the university, be my guest, do it, and uh, I will support you. And he, he just, uh, the promise that he uh, gave me, it was uh, all the way, all the way. Every, uh, he even helped me to uh, babysit my uh, uh, kids when I was going to this class. And uh, he's different from uh, the traditional uh, Iranian man, and I'm happy to marry him. <laughs> yeah. uh, I have to... Uh ask you about uh, one of your books, although it's not about women's movement, but it shows uh, uh, the quality of your uh, work and the quality of journalism. For those who might not know, Shabane Jafari was infamously known as Shabane uh, Brainless. Yes. Uh, and everyone had agreed that this was a picture that has been created of him, the person that helped overthrow Mossadegh. And when he was alone and isolated in Los Angeles, Ms. Sarshad decided to actually get what his story is. So could you tell us a little bit about your decision to do that book? That was my uh, journalism instinct when I saw him first. And uh, I uh, remember that I thought, this guy, this guy has a very big, grandiose presence. When he was sitting in a room with other people, he would start just discussing, talking, and everybody would listen to him or everybody was interested to uh, see what he's telling. And in one instance that I saw him, I said, how come that nobody thought that this man has something to say? Because every time that on, uh, is a book or an article written about uh, Mordad, the 28th of Mordad, Bisashtan Mordad and the coup, uh, is Shaban Jafari is one of the names that comes up. So he, he needs to be listened to. He, people should, uh, should listen to what he has to say. Right or wrong, that's another question. But we should listen. The first time that I saw him, so Mr. Jafari, you should write a book about your uh, life. Do you, are you willing to uh, give me that opportunity to interview you and do it like a oral history? And he said, yes, of course, but I need to, to think about it. And since, uh, from that time, until he accepted to do it, 16 years passed. Every time that for any occasion, I saw him in a restaurant, I saw him in a, a gathering or something, I would ask again. And I thought that this is overdue, we should do it. And last time that I talked to him, that before, the last time that he accepted, I said, you're getting old and you're sick. You may pass and without having your own word, people to hear it. I don't know what happened, but I think that time something clicked on, on him and he said, okay, okay, I said, come. But he gave me a few, um, few he asked me for a few promises, which I gave my word for it and I accepted. And he wanted to read the book before publishing, which I accepted also and gave it to him. He didn't make a lot of changes, but to be honest, but uh, uh, on the way of doing the interviews and writing the book, I got, you gave me the honor to reading the book and giving my some advice and also a couple of other um, uh, friends, uh, professors at the universities and people who know uh, about writing, Dr. Ahmad Academy Hancock and, and such. And uh, this was uh, a project very close to my heart and I worked hard of, and the only thing, the only difference that the book had with oral history project is I, in each chapter, I compared his word with what was, what was published in other books or in uh, the archives. So at the end of the book, people have, the reader have a bunch of uh, documents or writings or articles that I brought into the book to compare and see right where he's not right. 
So it, it, uh, the book was taken very seriously uh, in the academia uh, and academic uh, group, and uh, I'm happy that I did it. I'm uh, uh, because not very uh, not long after this book was published, he died, passed away. You know, I began the question by saying that I, I thought this is not related to the women's movement, but as I heard you, I realized that it is profoundly related in a sense that Shaban Jafari, who was one of the embodiments of macho Iranianness, the hero, someone who sort of macho-ness personified, yeah. his voice, his last voice was a woman. A woman, exactly. I wrote in my pre pre preface of the book, I said, I don't know why he chose a woman, but maybe he think that women are more trustworthy. And uh, or or maybe he thought that uh, I I was uh, genuinely uh, respecting whatever he said uh, and I would not cheat him. But anyway, you're right. Uh, he gave his voice to a woman. That's fantastic. I think uh, I have uh, uh, used abuse my right as the person to ask you a question and kept you too long. There are many uh, questions from the audience. So thank you very much. It was really my privilege to, to chat with you. Uh, I was, it was my honor and it was good for the first time you questioned me. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of me interviewing you, Dr. Milani. I have learned at the foot of a master. <laughs> oh, you're, you're nice, you're nice. Thank you so much. We, we do have a lot of questions and comments coming in, so I want to pass on a few to you. Um, one viewer says, in view of the systematic persecution of women's rights defenders and activists like Nasreen Sotudeh, how do we mobilize Iran's global diaspora to secure the release of women's rights activists in Iran? We're uh, globally uh, and mobilizing globally, uh, it's a very hard uh, work to do. But uh, as such that uh, in different uh, cities and in different countries, Iranian women outside Iran and also Iranian men that are activists and they're, they're trying hard to uh, let the world know, especially uh, United Nations, especially Human Rights Watch, especially uh, all the uh, activists uh, in different uh, cities and different countries. This is what is the essence of our work, our activism, to let other people know, to talk about it, to show them documentaries, to show them their life, to write about it, to have. So I think that in this, in this uh, situation, every single NGO, every single group of Iranian uh, activists, human rights or women rights activists has the, uh, has the uh, responsibility to let other people, the whole world, the international world, know about it. And this is whatever you can do. I'm, as, as a journalist, I write about it. I talk about it. I have panels. Somebody as a, a professor of the university can bring all his colleagues together, his or her colleagues together, and uh, have the write an open letter to the universities, to uh, responsible people around the world. So. It's, it depends on how much of yourself, how much of your uh, power you can use it, and you are willing to use it to uh, support this uh, movement. Thank you. Another viewer asks if you can please elaborate more on the division you mentioned that exists in the Iranian community. Is it a political, religious, or some other form of division? Right now, I mean, as we're sitting and talking, it's political. It's political, but it has also a underline of religion and uh, underline of uh, uh, different views of uh, people from capitalism or uh, communism or socialism, because these days, a lot of Iranian, uh, we hear from them that they, they are, for example, giving their vote to such to one of the candidates, and they, they mentioned that because they want the Iranian regime to be overturned. And uh, this, uh, the next uh, president of the United States, if it's such such a uh, candidate or the other candidate, they would either do it or don't do it. And this has been very, very active and very hot 
discussion between the Iranian community. And I can say as the Iranian community is like a small example of what's going on in the bigger uh, United States. It has been, it looks like they have taken a, a knife and they have divided the, the community or divided the country in two exact uh, uh, oppo opposing views. You see the uh, result of the uh, elect uh, election and the vote that we gave, and it's 50-50 almost, 51 or 49. So the same goes for Iranian community. And I haven't seen such a animosity, such anger, such a um, fighting between the community. And this is all is because of uh, underlying uh, uh, preference that one has, uh, uh, and the other opposing view doesn't have it about Iran, about the uh, Jewish community, about Israel, about taxes uh, uh, and all these. So as a um, citizen of the United States, Iranian born uh, American, they uh, also have a point of view that is exactly as the one that is you can see in the bigger picture of the United States. Thank you. And I know you spoke about this a little bit already, but we've had a few questions along the same line. So I'm going to ask all three of them and then maybe pick up if there's anything you'd like to add. Viewers write, why didn't Iranian women activists get any support from Iranian men after the revolution for the mandatory veil, etc.? And, and another viewer writes, why did women after the Islamic revolution accept the new Islamic limitations while they were at the forefront of the revolution and had more freedom and awareness for their rights? And one more writes, um, although Mr. Khomeini was against the women's right to vote, Iranian women supported him in the beginning of the revolution. Why? Did they forget his history of being anti-women's rights? Well, one of the reasons is that uh, Iranian people in uh, general, they didn't know Khomeini. Uh, Khomeini was in exile for many years. And the first time that many Iranians heard about him was in, at the verge of the revolution. So I give you one example of personal example at uh, when we were uh, working at Kehan newspaper, newspaper and there was a, a, a um, strike between the uh, journalists for 60 days strike that we wouldn't write because everybody was, uh, was supporting uh, uh, the uh, revolution uh, most mostly in Kehan. And uh, we were talking, we, we didn't have anything to do. We were stri uh, striking, sitting there, not doing anything. And we were just discussing with it between ourselves. And I would, I would uh, ask, why are you going for a religious man to my colleagues the, from the, uh, from the uh, left uh, ideology? And they said, this is symbolic. Even women, they said, this is symbolic. Why are you putting a veil and going to the demonstration? This is symbolic. When the revolution happened, well, when, if we are uh, successful to overthrow Shah, it's gonna be very easy to let this guy, this religious guy to go to his home and sit in Rome and not uh, interfere with the uh, political of Iran or with the, uh, Iran's uh, ruling. And that was a, a mistake. That was a big mistake. And I think we should just uh, we should just accept that this mistake was ignorance from the ignorance of not knowing the guy and not knowing what will happen if a regime, a, a religious re regime, where or people or religious people come and uh, um, demand or uh, um, rule the, the uh, bring in the revolution in a, and they will go sit down and they will not do anything anymore after that. It's not going to happen. It didn't happen, but. But with the eyes that we have today, we can uh, explain what happened. But at that time, many people were so excited, so uh, blindfolded, and uh, they would have, uh, the only thing that they wanted is for sure to go. And whoever comes, we can just change it. We want, to, we can have uh, election. We can bring whatever, whoever we want for it. That's good for the country. And this all going to pass. And it didn't pass. Thank you. One viewer asks, what do you think about the political and legal activities of Iranian women working in the executive power, like Jonedi, Ebtekar, Mola Verdi? Do you consider them as women's rights activists? No, I don't. You cannot be a, a women's rights activist and work with this uh, government. 
accept one in one short uh, sentence, I can say, no, I don't accept them. I don't. Maybe they're activists for the Islamic uh, Sharia laws uh, to bring about those, and they are women that they accept whatever the uh, religion gives them and uh, guide them, but not the women rights activists, no. Thank you. A comment and a question from another viewer. Iranian women continue to be a strong nonviolent movement, which is bold, courageous, and unwilling to back down under the severest of oppression. We do not see any similar movement in other Islamic countries where the rights of women are suppressed. Why do you think this is the case? Uh, I don't agree with the, uh, course, uh, the, the, this question. I think that in all the uh, movement that happened in Islamic or non-Islamic countries, women have been uh, also participating, but uh, Iranian women have been very, very uh, visibly uh, involved. They have very visible involvement. And that's uh, because I don't know why. I don't know the reason. Maybe uh, some researcher needs to find the reason, but I think they, uh, if they are exceptionally, exception, uh, a big exception in the whole world and in the, in the uh, Middle East and even in the Middle Eastern movement in different countries, Iranian women are stronger and they are just uh, tirelessly working and not getting uh, uh, away any minute. Thank you. Another viewer says, I'm grateful to you, Ms. Sasha, for your advocacy of women. Do you think your cultural background as a Jewish woman gave you the courage to begin your path of fighting for women's rights, meaning that you might not have been as accepted for speaking up with your voice had you been a Muslim woman? And then just another um, question from a viewer, was being Jewish also a challenge either in pre-revolution Iran or in the U.S.? I don't think that uh, giving voice to women in Jewish uh, faith is any different from in the Muslim faith. Uh, it's even more archaic, if you want. And then uh, having a woman with voice, having women uh, with uh, ideas, having a woman to be a, 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 an activist woman in Jewish communities, much harder and more challenging than in Islamic uh, uh, faith. So. Uh, yeah, it, it, I, uh, I do not uh, compare these two as a po uh, one better than the other one. Both are just preventing women uh, to, uh, uh, to, ra to raise their uh, voice for the right. And it's, uh, uh, for me as a uh, Jewish woman, uh, it was hard. Uh, I was not very much accepted in my community back and here also, uh, uh, for example, the uh, opposition that he should show if uh, and a Jewish man is against, for example, Trump or Biden, as opposed to a woman who is against Trump or Biden, uh, the woman will get more uh, of uh, insult or uh, attack from the community. And that shows that it, there is no difference. When religion is where we are talking about religion, Abrahamic religion like Islam and uh, the Judaism and Christianity are both uh, very unfair to women. Thank you. Um, a viewer writes, one of the most salient features of your work is your courage to break ancestral silences. Thank you for your pioneering work. Would you please tell us what is a taboo topic you wish to address but never did? Well, the I don't, I don't see which one I'm, I've not addressed, but there was a lot of taboo. I have a gay son and uh, in the Iranian community and the Jewish community, this is a big taboo. And I started talking about it and my son was also very, very adamant to be out of closet. And uh, uh, I have also helped all this LGBTQ community, Iranian LGBTQ community to uh, feel comfortable with themselves. And uh, this is the last taboo that I think I had uh, for the community that I talk about. It has started maybe from 20 years ago, but has been, uh, has been very uh, more visible the last 10 years uh, because of the uh, different community of LGBTQ Iranian that has been formed. So I work closely with them and I make their voice heard and uh, uh, 
besides that, I don't see any other taboo. <laughs> I am I, uh, I'm famous for breaking taboos all the time. Thank you. Um, one viewer asks, how does the feminist movement in Iran fit in with Western feminism? Do you see the two as compatible? Uh, not very, but it's uh, in essence because it's uh, uh, activism from women for women's rights, it can be compared, uh, compared with each other. But the way that the uh, Western uh, women uh, work to uh, progress this movement is totally different from Iranian or Middle Eastern women or uh, that part of the uh, East uh, part of the world. So uh, you, should, you should be aware of uh, culture, you should be aware of tradition, you should be aware of uh, um, geography or the uh, situation of the country, you should be aware of the country, the government and all these uh, makes uh, activism, women activism in, in my country, in Iran, much more difficult than in Western countries. Thank you. What do you suggest to bring back some dialogues among Iranian, the Iranian Jewish community and other Iranians? Well, I think uh, Trump has not helped that and had made it worse for the last four years. Uh, in, Contrary to what they said that uh, Trump is a uh, uh, president that uh, uh, respect and loves Jewish people and also Israel, I think during that last four years, the anti-Semitism, anti-Israel uh, sentiment has been highest, highest, and also the violence and attack to the synagogues and also to cemeteries, Jewish schools that he didn't help it. So uh, if his followers are following him the way he's doing the, the job, I don't, I don't see any, uh, any bright future in bringing in those people in conversation right now. We should see. Thank you. We have just a few minutes left, so I want to ask two last questions to leave, to leave on. What advice would you give to young, to young uh, women journalists in Iran today? And what gives you hope, if any, for the future of Iran? But the Iranian women journalists in Iran, they are they're very courageous. They don't need my advice. They are working perfectly. They are doing a great job. And uh, the only thing I, I know, a uh, few of them, I'm in contact, uh, uh, constant contact with them and correspondence with them. And I always said, I'm very proud of you for what you're doing. I know you are facing a big challenge, but bravo for what you're doing. So I don't have any advice to give them. I think that you're just giving a pat in the back for what they're doing. And uh, uh, as for what was the second question, the future of Iran? What gives you hope for the future of Iran? Iranian women. Iranian women. And continue uh, great job that you're doing and great work that you're doing. And staying strong and continue what they're doing. It will happen. Thank you. I think that's a, a wonderful place to end it on. Thank you so much to everyone who submitted questions and comments. And thank you, Ms. Sashar, for a, a wonderful conversation. This event was recorded, so we will share the recording in a few weeks' time on our website and our YouTube channel. Thank you so much. Thank and you, Roma, uh, for your invitation. Thank you, Stafford, and also Hamid and Christina Moadam, uh, the program of Iranian Studies, for inviting. It was an honor.